Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. And today we're going to be talking about Sean Carroll and Joe Rogan as they ignore reality five times in a row. Stick with us. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if, if you say, like, there's no free will in your atoms, then I'm with you. I'm on, on board. But no one in the world goes through life that way. Right. For good reason. And they never will. It's not going to happen. See, there's the ignoring reality. Nobody thinks that way. So we're not going to talk that way. I mean, that's just an obvious idea, I think. If something exists, it must have been designed. There must be a reason. There must be a purpose. Things work in a certain way because someone made them that way. And that, we don't see that person hanging around, so it must be, you know, up there in the sky or something like that. The invisible things of God, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen. In other words, it seems obvious. Obvious idea. Clearly seen. Obvious idea. Clearly seen. In other words, it seems obvious. We're going to jump right in with Sean Carroll and Joe Rogan in just a few minutes. But before we do, I want you to hear what Sean Carroll is trying to do because it informs the discussion that he's having with Joe Rogan on his show. So here is Sean Carroll. Explaining why naturalism is right and, and how science leads us to that pulls the rug out from underneath you uh, in terms of why we are here, what is the purpose and meaning of life and so forth. And all we have to offer them in return is a hard concrete floor. And I don't think that's true. I think we can do better. But so I'm very, very interested in sort of taking those positive next steps and explaining to people what it is like to live in a world governed by naturalism. All right. So there is what he's trying to do. We've got Sean Carroll basically trying to say, look, there are a lot of things that belief in the supernatural, belief in God kind of gave people. There were, there were some uh, holes that it filled in for them that has to do with some of the most important questions of life. And so now what we've got to do is we've got to find a way uh, to produce through naturalism something that can be meaningful, something that can, but at the same time, be real on a naturalistic paradigm. One of my favorite films is got to be Castaway with Tom Hanks. I love a good Tom Hanks movie. I love a good survivalist movie. And uh, a man stuck on an island for a number of years, all alone without any other human companionship, raises some interesting philosophical questions and questions about anthropology. But one thing that uh, happens on the movie, as you're aware, is that he creates a person for himself. In the absence of any other real person, Hanks' character creates out of this volleyball a person, person in quotation marks, Wilson. And Wilson becomes a very important player in the film, right? We get attached to Wilson because the character is attached to Wilson. And we begin to think of Wilson as kind of mystically having some kind of a personhood. But we recognize all the time it's not. In fact, uh, when Wilson floats away, it's meaningful and powerful. And he loses this only companion that he's had. But what's valuable about Wilson is what Wilson represents, not what Wilson is without any companionship, without another human being to interact with, in his state of absolute loneliness and perhaps despair, uh, Tom Hanks' character in the film creates something that will in some way manifest that. It, it's, it's, it's in this way that Wilson kind of teaches us something about human beings, even though Wilson himself is not a human being. And when Tom Hanks gets back, he wants to be with real people. The, the ball, Wilson, is not a person in and of himself. We shouldn't be striving to surround ourselves with volleyballs painted with faces, right? We should be reaching out for real people, that real companionship. Here we have Sean Carroll saying that what people have in mind is that if naturalism is true, it's just this hard concrete floor. We want to show them that there's something more than that. And what I see Sean Carroll and Joe Rogan doing throughout this, uh, this discussion that we're going to play clips from is that Sean Carroll and Joe Rogan are trying to create a Wilson. And they're trying to create something that is 
on naturalism that, that isn't the same thing as what religion offers. And they're trying to present it as though it can fill those gaps, as though it is in some sense as, as important and meaningful and valuable as that. But what we're going to find in the end is that while our character in the Hanks film got attached to Wilson, and there are naturalists who get attached to things that they manifest for themselves in this world, meanings that they come up with, uh, the illusion of free will, the illusion of morality. If those things aren't ultimately real, you've just got Wilson. And Wilson is only valuable in so much as he is an image of something else that's real, something else that's ultimate. And it's to that end that we're going to watch as Sean Carroll and Joe Rogan construct a Wilson for naturalism. They're going to begin by talking about free will, but that's not going to be the totality of this episode. That's just one of five things that they talk about as they construct this Wilson of their own in their own likeness. Let's listen that it's not necessarily just a one or a zero, that it's a combination of these things. Free will, there, has to, there is some mechanism that chooses to do one thing versus another. There is some computation, there's calculation, there's debate, there's discussion, there's a thing inside of you, whatever it is, whatever that process is yeah. that's causing you to, I mean, how many times have people stayed up all night going over and over and over a certain idea trying to find a rational conclusion? Oh, yeah, all the time. What what is that? (laughs) Right. Well, what is that? Is that free will? Is that? Yeah. This is where the it actually becomes interesting uh, to talk about the vocabulary we use, right? Yes. Because it becomes very, very hard to know where to attach the word I or you when you're talking about this. Like, we tend to say, I made a decision. Okay, that's fine, right? I decided to have this can of pure caffeine that you put in front of me and drink it. Um, I could have decided otherwise. So that's the question. Like, is, does it make sense to say I could have decided otherwise? And if you define yourself as the following list of atoms and particles in a certain configuration, then no. Then the laws of physics said that that was going to happen. But I don't know what all that is. That's not a useful way of talking. So there's a whole nother way of talking that says, I'm a person, and I kind of like coffee, but I already had a cup this morning. And you know, there's a chance, there's a probability, like you say, that I would drink this and a probability that I would not. And those are completely compatible, yeah. although they're different. The only way you get into trouble is if you mix up those two different ways of talking. If you say, like, I chose to have the coffee because my atoms were in a following configuration or something like that, right? That's like talking about us as humans and then switching vocabularies to talking about us as atoms, and that's where you get in trouble. Yeah, it's, it's a weird reduction. Okay, so we're going to continue this in just a moment. What I want you to notice here is that Sean Carroll is a compatibilist. And for those that don't recall, a compatibilist is someone who is a determinist. They don't believe that um, genuine ability to have done other than whatever you ended up doing is a thing. Uh, Sean Carroll agrees with Sam Harris about this, that ultimately you're determined. He agrees with Stephen Woodford. He agrees, I don't know if he knows who Stephen Woodford is, but he would agree with someone like that. He agrees with those people that say you really don't have free will. But like Daniel Dennett and like Matt Dillahunty used to do, he holds this position of compatibilism. Compatibilism is determinism, but it allows you to speak about free will as though it's a real thing. And you see it on, on, uh, in play here. 
uh, first of all, you see him here saying, yeah, I mean, ultimately it is just, you know, your atoms in motion and things like that. Um, and it is just all determinism. And we say you're deciding, but it's really just determinism. It's just the molecules. It's just all of that. And what even is the I that we're talking about, he says. I mean, it's just, this is just great how naked the naturalism is there. But then he completely turns around and, and, and ignores that and says, but it doesn't really work that way. When you're talking to everyday people, when you're having discussions like this, it's meaningful to talk about free will because we're up here on the level of human beings, not down there on the level of atoms. And so we can talk about free will and we can speak as though there's free will. And so I can, I can say that there's free will in that sense and all those kind of things. Understand, this is to ignore reality. This is ignoring reality. This is saying, look, what, so I would say he's ignoring reality in that he admits that it seems very strongly that we have this libertarian sense of free will, that we have the actual ability to have done other than whatever we ended up doing, that nothing external to ourselves determines our actions. That seems really right. I mean, that's very powerful. So I would say he's ignoring reality and uh, affirming this determinism but then trying to hold on to the language of reality when he's talking at the level of everyday people. But let's say you're an atheist watching. Okay, fine. You don't think that what I'm talking about represents reality because you don't think that there is such a thing as libertarian freedom. In such a case, if Sean Carroll is right, he's still denying reality and ignoring reality because he's speaking about all of this as though it's real, as though free will is a real thing at the level of human beings. We talk about it as though it's, we have free will, we, we function as though we have free will, but ultimately we know down underneath the hood we're talking about atoms in motion and molecules and all these kind of things. But, but, but hey, we can say we have free will and we can be compatibilists that way. Whichever way you cut it, he is ignoring the reality. And that is a very interesting thing. The second thing I want you to notice about this is that, as I've argued many times on this channel, if there is no free will, if there is no libertarian free will, not his compatibilist fake free will, but if there is real libertarian freedom, then that means uh, if, if that doesn't exist, that means you can't have rational affirmations. It means that you can affirm things, but whatever you affirm, like I'm an atheist, I'm a Christian, I'm a pink unicorn, I'm the president of the United States, whatever you want to affirm, you just kind of find yourself affirming it. Now, you don't experience it that way, but as he said, it couldn't have been otherwise. You say you decided, but what is this I we're even talking about? You were just determined to affirm it, and this means you have no justification for that. And I think it's very interesting that while he flip-flops between how he's going to talk about the nature of human freedom, underneath the hood, that's what he ultimately understands, and that's what he embraces, that whatever you decide, whatever you believe, whatever you think, it could not have been otherwise. And this leads to uh, an abandonment of any real meaningful discussion of rationality. So when it comes to free will, we see that either way you cut it, he is ignoring reality. Let's keep going. take on what it means to be a person that thinks. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if, if you say, like, there's no free will in your atoms, then I'm with you. I'm on, on board. But no one in the world goes through life that way. Right. <laughs> For good reason. And they never will. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, and you could break that all the way down. See, there's the ignoring reality. Uh, it's um, nobody thinks that way. So we're not going to talk that way. But it's kind of true, but we're not going to talk that way. Now, I think, of course, that free will does exist, and he's ignoring reality with the determinism. But even if you affirm the atheist determinist position, he's still ignoring reality. 
Very interesting that this is guy is supposed to be, uh, you know, the, 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 the champion for a lot of atheists. And, and no doubt, I'm sure he's a, a, an inspired physicist. But um, just want to point out where someone might not be the clearest thinker in other areas. Down to creativity, right? Like what, when someone sits down and writes something, like where's all that right. coming from? Is yeah, that so just I think, again, there determinism is, as well? there is an interesting question about, you know, how much we will ultimately be able to unpack and understand about that, right? Like right. right now, the brain is kind of just a mystery box to us. And there's so much we don't know about wh how people make decisions, how they remember things, how they uh, come up with new ideas. So, so where it matters is how we treat people, right? Like, okay, now here, here we're coming up to the next issue, which is moral responsibility. This is the other area where I'm going to say they're going to ignore some reality, but let's keep trucking with it. Obvious case is responsibility, blame. Like, if, if you think that a, a person makes choices, then you can assign responsibility to them for making the choices they made. Yes. That's what we do in the world. If someone chooses to rob a bank, we choose to put them in jail, right? Yes. And someone, someone could come along and say, no one ever does this, but someone could come along and say, well, they're just a bunch of atoms obeying laws of physics. How can you blame them, right? <laughs> that would be dopey. That, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But what if you were minority report? Right? What if you could like put someone in an MRI in a brain scanner and say, yeah, you know what? Tomorrow they're going to rob a bank. Do you arrest them? Is that is that enough? Right? The fact that their brain was hooked up to uh, to mm. violate the law in the future is that enough to assign personal responsibility to them for that? Or do you mm. or do you do the opposite and say, well, it's going to happen no matter what. We can't really blame them. Well, and also if you do catch this thought process is before the actual action takes place. Isn't it possible to correct that thought process with education or some sort of awareness training? If you were determined to do that. Or something where you could shift the consciousness and all. Uh, uh, and if they were determined to care. Abruptly sort of disassemble determinism at its most problematic point. Yeah, so there's a, there's a whole kind of uh, interesting um, set of ideas that are very popular among philosophers right now, which is the question of moral luck. Ooh. So if you're driving down the street and you're buzzed, you're drunk, right? Maybe you get home fine. Maybe someone jumps in front of your car and you run them over because you don't have the uh, agility or the reflexes because you're drunk, right? So you're the same person. You went home, you're drunk, and you're driving home. Right. But depending on the outside world, you ran someone over and killed them or you didn't. But in the world, we blame the person who ran somebody over. We, we punish them much more severely than the person who got home safely, right? Mm. That's not their responsibility. They sort of got unlucky there in the world. So should we blame people who you know, had the chance of doing it? Uh, uh, no one knows the answer to these questions. These are, these are tricky things. Like We're not very good, we human beings, at, at thinking about these probabilistic counterfactual questions. Yeah, that's a good one. That is, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, what, who are you then? Yeah. Are, are you lucky? Oh, yeah, right. I uh. mean, so much of what happens to us in life, we don't get responsibility for. Sure. Like, I mean, we're interfacing with randomness yeah. every time we step out the door. That's right. But uh, 
can you treat people that way consistently? It's hard, mm. right? It's tricky. I'm not giving the answer because I don't know. I mean, there I think is that, no, right. yeah, this is, this is tricky stuff. Yeah, so uh, basically what we have here is, uh, again, we have, look, it, 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 we can't say, well, uh, you know, he says that it's just that their atoms interacted in a certain way. That, that doesn't make any sense. And so uh, we're probably going to still put these people in jail. We're still going to probably hold it. And it's not just put them in jail because a person could consistently say, okay, they're not morally responsible, but we're going to put them in jail because that's the best thing for society. But he's going to go on holding people morally praiseworthy and morally blameworthy too. I mean, that's just going to continue. So again, we have number two, another position where we're having to ignore reality. And I think that's very interesting. And it goes along with my defense of the second premise of my free will argument that um, uh, we end up with morality. Uh, Based on what is being said here is, look, there is Ultimately, if a person becomes a racial hater or if someone becomes a philanthropist, in either case, they couldn't help it. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't because they were a good person or a bad person. It's just the way they're... It's just luck, right? It's, it's luck, like he says. Um, and so we've, we've got to ignore the reality, which is that it seems really... It really does seem like people are morally responsible. It really does seem when someone does something horrible like what happened at the gay nightclub um, uh, a couple of years ago or whatever, that, that it really seems like that was a blessing blameworthy thing for that person to do. It really seems like when people subjugate women that that is a blameworthy thing to do. It really does seem like the evils that take place, the genocide, are blameworthy. And that when someone does something good, that like build wells for thirsty people in a third world country, that that is a good thing, that they're praiseworthy for that. But ultimately, uh, it's not. It really does seem like that, but let's ignore the reality there and, um, and let's recognize that it's determinism. Or cut it the other way. It really is that they're determined and they really aren't morally praiseworthy or blameworthy, but let's ignore that and treat them as though they're morally praiseworthy or blameworthy. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that here we come to another spot where it kind of seems like we kind of have to either uh, function differently than what their worldview says and treat people as though we have they have free will um, or uh, abandon their world uh, abandon or abandon what seems reasonable and stick to the worldview, which is kind of bleak. So, um, all right, let's let's skip on to another thing here, and let's take a look at this. This is really powerful. This is a really great moment here that I, you really need to hear. Uh, but the idea that there's supernatural, very powerful uh, influences in the world, I mean, that's just an obvious idea, I think. Like, we're human beings. We tend to, as our first guess in understanding the world, treat the world as you know humanist like we're 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 anthropomorphic right mm-hmm. like if something exists it must have been designed there must be a reason there must be a purpose uh things work in a certain way because someone made them that way and that we don't see that person hanging around so it must be you know up there in the sky or something like i don't think it's that hard to imagine that all sorts of different cultures would evolve do you think it's idea. also so basically what he's saying here is now we come to the issue of design. And he says, ah, it seems obvious, right? That stuff seems to work, stuff looks designed, it's probably designed. There's probably someone who made it that way. Now, let's ignore that and let's assume that it's not designed because we got, we got, to, we got to hold up the naturalism here, right? Uh, we can't allow the divine foot in the door. Um, that's, that seems like really obviously what's going on. Uh, and within your naturalistic sciences, you have to assume that we live in a rational cosmos. And you'll hear people talking this way by accident quite regularly. You'll hear people say things like, um, well, this part of the, uh, of the 
you know, anatomy does this because, or it's for this purpose, or it's meant to do this, or it, even sometimes they'll mess up and say it's designed to do this. And I, I realize that people can say, well, yeah, well, it is meant for that because evolution got it to the point where it's meant for that. But to be meant for something, I mean, the very idea of it having some ultimate meaning that causes it to function that way in the body. I mean, these are this is the language of design. So again, either way you cut it, we have a real obvious example of someone ignoring reality, whether they're right or wrong. Um, so that's, a, that's an interesting thing. It's also interesting that this goes along with um, what Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, uh, when Paul is saying that the invisible things of God, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen. In other words, it seems obvious, right? Clearly seen through what has been made so that they're without excuse. Uh, you look at the world around you, you see the design, and it is obvious that there is a God. It is obvious that there is a designer. And frankly, when it comes to the, 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 the fact, it is mind-boggling to me that there are people who are atheists. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to gaslight you, okay? I mean, I, I, we live in a world where uh, in our culture right now, there are a lot of things that are just taken as uh, subtle suggestions across the culture from various institutions like the educational institutions, the, um, the entertainment uh, institutions. And so because of that, um, I recognize that it's, it's, not, it's not crazy that you ended up with that worldview. But when you look at the evidence, when you push yourself back and you just say, yeah, but for real, like, let me, let me look at this thing, you know, with fresh eyes for a minute. It's really incredibly designed, and it had to have uh, a personal agent as the creator of the universe for reasons that have been discussed in other videos. And it's, it's just, you know, it, there's just too much there. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I, it's for the reasons like this that if you say you don't buy the resurrection case, I want to talk to you about that. I, I got stuff I want to say. But if you say you don't believe in God, in, at least that there is a God, I mean, come on, man. I agree with the Apostle Paul. I agree with Sean Carroll. It seems obvious, right? When you look around you, it's not that odd that this would be the conclusion. The thing is, I, I, I think you should have stuck with that. I think Paul was right. The, the invisible things of God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen through what's been made. Plus, I think that the philosophical arguments definitely back this up. And I think the scientific arguments uh, that there is design backs this up. So well, you're not a physicist like Sean Carroll. Yeah, I may not be a physicist like Sean Carroll, but here's, here's the thing about it is that one of the reasons that the multiverse is very popular right now, the, the idea of a multiverse, is we got to do something to come up to get the numbers right, that we would have a universe that is as it should be um, for life to be able to emerge. So I, I think that all of that's there. It only strengthens that obvious nature of looking around and saying uh, somebody designed this. So again, I think we have an example of someone who is having to ignore reality whichever way you cut it. Uh, but let's go on and let's hear what he has to say on the issue of meaning. People search for meaning and they take meaning um, from the, whatever religion or ideology that they subscribe to and they use it as a, sort of a, a a reason why they're living it gives them hope it gives yeah. them gives them something yeah now as we move forward i want you to listen to what he says here because it sounds like to my mind it and this goes back to jean paul sartre and probably before this existential atheism this create a meaning for yourself it is a subtle admission that there isn't there isn't meaning so we have to make it up. We have to pretend that there's meaning. We have to pretend that there's free will. We have to pretend that there's moral responsibility. Um, we, with the design, whichever way you cut it, we're, we're having to ignore 
either our worldview or what seems obvious. And here, when it comes to meaning, we have to pretend. Listen to what he says. It's a very common theme among um, religious thinkers that if it weren't for the existence of God or, or whatever, there'd be no reason to live, there'd be no right. reason to be a good person, and so forth. And, yeah. you know, I think it's uh, it goes back to the motivation we have as having bodies versus being in a computer. Like, there's plenty of reasons to do different things. Like, in, in the big picture, my last... Okay, now, hold on a second. There are plenty of reasons. Fine. That's fine. There are reasons. Reasons that you, you want to do something because it'll produce serotonin or dopamine in your brain. Um, it'll make you feel better about who you are. But there's not an ultimate meaning is the purpose here. There's not an ultimate purpose. You have to just make it up. And I want you to notice that Joe Rogan, I think Joe Rogan sniffs this out. You'll see in just a moment. Last book, I talk a lot about... Um, you know, we, we, it, it's okay to admit that we as human beings have desires, that we, there are things we care about, that we want to be true. And you can talk about why that's true from evolution, from biology and whatever, but it doesn't matter why in some sense. We have goals. We're not completely aimless. Like we want to survive. We, we want to flourish. We want to be friends with people. We want to have families, whatever it is we want to do. All that we put together in terms of morality and ethics and meaning and purpose comes out of thinking hard and carefully, hopefully, about uh, how to systematize and grow those existing desires that we have into a way of living in the world. We don't need anything external to make that happen. We just need to sort of think about where we are already and try to make it better. But Now, to the external, to, to step out of the conversation for a minute and to rephrase what he's just said, what he said is, we don't need something external for that. He's saying there is no ultimate meaning or purpose. So do what you want. You get to make it up for yourself. Of course, then that gets into the question of what if we have very differing motivations? What if what gives us meaning is very different and someone's motivation for, because we're talking about our desires here, right? What my personal motivation for gratification, what if it involves doing horrific things, right? This is, this is not a good way to look at it. The better way to look at it is, um, and the way that seems most appropriate, uh, given everything else that's been said so far, is, yeah, there was a design. It seemed like there was a design. It seemed obvious to you because guess what? There was a design. And you know what that means? That means this designer designed you for a purpose. There is a purpose. Uh, the shovel was created to be a shovel by a designer, an inventor, who says, I've made this thing to use it for something. This is now a shovel. It's going to be used for digging up dirt or whatever. And uh, this is a man. What are you going to use that man for? I've got a purpose for that man. That man is going to be for the purpose of uh, serving me, glorifying me, but loving me and loving others as himself. There's a purpose for man. There's a purpose for the shovel. There's a purpose. Things have a purpose when there's an inventor who assigns a purpose to them. Uh, if you understand that, then you don't have the problem anymore of someone who decides, oh, I, my purpose is to Again, I don't want to say something that's going to upset YouTube. So the desire to do some horrific thing, right, that's going to be bad for society or bad for other people. Imagine the worst imaginable thing that gives that person some sense of gratification. Uh, you don't have to worry about that because that, we can say objectively that's not what they were designed for. And guess what? That seems really obvious. That seems to make sense. Uh, but we're having to ignore reality here, right? You as a, an intelligent person who is also an atheist who thinks very deeply about things, what do you cling to as a, a purpose for life? Do you have one? Do you have like a, a when you, th you sit and think like, what's the point of all this? Do yeah. you 
Notice what Joe Rogan has just said. He's like, he, he just listened to Sean Carroll wax eloquent about, oh, we have these desires and we want to uh, make a better place out of the world and we want to do all these kinds of things. And Joe Rogan isn't saying it this way, but it kind of comes across as, yeah, okay, but whatever, but what's the point of all this, right? Do you have anything more than that? Is there anything that it's like, hey, what's the point of all this? Let's see what he says. Do you? Do you? I don't have a single one. I don't have a monolithic purpose. I have plenty of intermediate-sized purposes, right? Um, otherwise, you know, why continue living? I think right. that uh, there's plenty of things I want to do, to achieve, to experience, to share, to give to the world, right? That's All a big these... feature, right? The give to the world. That Absolutely. You're, you're yeah. interf the way you interact with other human beings and your effect on other human beings gives you a, gives you purpose. Yeah, and even... Uh, to what end? To what end? Th this is the question, like, I... I, I and, and listen, you atheists that are listening, like, I, I'm, I feel you. I, I, I already know what I think some of you are would say to be saying, at, screaming at your phone right now or screaming at the computer screen. And that is that, uh, look, even if there's not some ultimate purpose, even if the universe is in eventually going to uh, die this heat death or whatever, and all of human history is going to be lost and all of art and literature and science and everything that Sean Carroll is doing to try and make the world a better place or a more educated place or whatever, his podcast, Rogan's podcast, this video, all of it's going to be gone and dead along with the works of Shakespeare and all religions and all philosophers, all gone, all over, never to be rediscovered by anybody because there isn't anybody, right? That's that, Let's just make it clear what's happening. And I know you're going to say, yeah, but still, we're here right now and there will be future generations and we can make it better for them. Better as opposed to what? As opposed to what? What is, what is the scale that we're judging this on? To, what, what is this standard of ultimate goodness? Do we even know? Can we ever get there? Clearly not. What? what and, and all of it's going to, this better world you're making is all for naught. It's going to decay. It's going to fall apart and it will not be remembered. Just carry these thoughts with all of the comments about of greatness and, and that we're going to develop into, you know, this, you know, we're going to make the world a better place. Just remember, just remember the achievement that we're going to pass on to the next generation. Just remember what the eschatology is here for naturalism. See, what we've seen happen so far was with, with free will, we, we took the volleyball and we put a face on it, right? We put the face on the volleyball and we, and we made eyes. And now that we have this face, we can speak as though Wilson is free, but he's not free. And, uh, and, and we can, we, we can uh, treat him as though he's morally responsible because uh, he's got a face, you know? He seems like a person, so we're going to hold him morally responsible, even though he's not morally responsible and then and then we're going to we're going to uh with with, with design we're going to uh put some hair on our wilson put some some straw into the top of him and we're going to pretend as though that he is uh, a real person that 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 this is that this plugs that hole that, that, that's going on but it's not really there it's not really a person that's not real hair there and now we come to meaning we're going to speak to the to him and and and, and ascribe a value to him um, and, and say that there is some purpose for him, that we don't want to lose him in the ocean. But it doesn't matter if he gets lost in the ocean ultimately because he's a piece of trash. The value of Wilson was that he was, uh, he was an icon of sorts for humanity that it does have that ultimate value. But your Wilson on naturalism just doesn't have it. And if he gets lost at sea, as the, all of humanity ultimately will, it's a volleyball floating in the ocean, man.
<laughs> that's all we've got. If I think that when I die, I will no longer exist and my feelings won't matter, I have feelings right now about what the world will be like even after I'm not here anymore, right? So I can still be motivated to make the world a, a better place in ways that will outlive me, even if I think that when I die, it's really the end for me. Even if I think that when I die, it's really the end for me. It is really the end for you if naturalism is true. It really is the end for you, for your conscious experience. Um, your stuff will live on eh, for a while, right? I mean, how long will it take? He's a pretty big scientist. I mean, his, his works may last a few hundred years, maybe longer. But the universe eventually will forget him because the universe will eventually forget humanity. There is no ultimate purpose. What he's saying is there isn't one. We make it up. And what does it mean to make something up? It means it's a fiction. It means that it's a fantasy. It means that it's a fairy tale. You just made it up. But hey, you know, whatever, man. That's your Wilson. Have your Wilson. I, I, don't, I don't get much out of that Wilson. Let's keep going. Mm. And... Do you get down sometimes? Look, look, did you get down sometimes? Look, Rogan is not satisfied with this, I don't think. Let's keep going. Do you ever, do you, do you get like these periods of like, you're like, what is the purpose of all this? Just, especially if you see some ridiculous thing in the news or some <laughs> horrific. Now, no, no, it's what, what he, Rogan has just said. So, so you ever wonder what's the point of all this? I mean, what's your purpose? So again, Carol waxes eloquent about my achievements and my things that will make the world a better place. And I think the death is the end. It is, if naturalism is true. But these things will outlive me and, and, and they'll live on. And in that sense, maybe I can live on and all these kind of things. And Rogan's sitting here. Hmm. Do you ever get bummed out by all this? <laughs> I just love that response. I love it. Let's keep going. Tragedy and I'm pretty, I mean, so for horrific tragedies, no. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, fortunate enough to be uh, pretty even keeled when it comes to that stuff. I don't have, I don't struggle with depression or despair or existential anxiety or anything like that. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was, you know, first starting to think about the universe and, and science and things like that, I would start wondering about, well, what if the universe hadn't existed at all? What if I weren't, wasn't here? Uh, and that made me lose sleep that night. And I think like many people, there, I, there was a very definite moment when I realized that I and everyone I knew would die, right? And that, so I woke up crying mm -hmm. and my mom had to, you know, uh, comfort me because. So here we come to this point of, of the whole discussion. It's, we've got Wilson now, we've created Wilson. And Wilson's gonna be our companion throughout life and maybe he can get through it. We're still, you know, maybe Sean Carroll's saying he's not, but Rogan's bummed out that he sees Wilson for what Wilson is, I think, on some level, e even though I, I, I know Rogan's worldview as best I understand it. But still, I think he's, he's looking at this with, with some, you know, really, are you, are you, is that not bum you out? He sees Wilson, that, that this is a volleyball, man. Uh, maybe that's the best we got, but it's still a volleyball. You know, we're bummed out about this. But now we come to this moment where, okay, we are ultimately going to die one day. And what, what, how do we view that? I mean, we don't know really what's on the other side. I mean, we're going to be atheists and say that when those neurons stop firing, uh, that that's, that's the end. Uh, it'll be like it was when the ancient pyramids were being built. You weren't thinking about anything then, and you won't be thinking about anything after. But you really aren't 100% sure, are you? I mean, you can't be. 
because that would mean that you'd have to be 100% sure about God, and you'd have to be 100% sure that there isn't one and that there isn't an afterlife. And remember, atheism these days is branded a little bit differently. Now atheism is just um, the absence of a belief in those things, but you're not making that positive claim. Uh, that there that, or, that there is no God, that your position is correct. And, and so uh, you're, you're just saying, I don't know. Uh, so we're facing a, a possible afterlife that we don't really know what's going on. And to that end, it's a little scary. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just trying to lay the cards on the table so that you can look at them and observe them. And I encourage you. You may be young right now. It seems like you've got all the time in the world. But I want you to think this through because life is kind of short. I mean, I feel like I woke up... I remember when I woke up on my 20th birthday in an apartment in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I pulled the sheet over my head. I couldn't believe that I was no longer a teenager, that now I'm 20. And uh, this year, I, I'm 39. I pulled the I woke up, and I, I'm 39 years old with no hair and a beard, and uh, I pulled the sheet over my head again. Next year, I'll be 40. In no time, I'll be 60. I mean, th- th- look, it doesn't feel that way, but especially for you, those of you that are middle-aged or older, you understand this. Life is fleeting. And uh, while the atheist wants to say, yeah, that's why we can value it so much more. I've never understood that, first of all. And say, well, what's valuable about a rose is that it's going to die one day, and that gives you the appreciation of it in the moment. Um, I c- if roses didn't die, they would still be just as beautiful to me. They would still smell just as good, Right. Um, so, you know, th- think about this very seriously. Put all the cliches aside and think about this very seriously and ask yourself, where do I stand on this question? Because it's coming. Now, Sean Carroll and Joe Rogan have got a solution for you. And we're going to hear that in just a moment. It's like, I was like, you know, grandmom's going to die and you're going to die and I'm going to die. And, you know, yeah. yeah. But, you know, as a grown-up, no, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm more or less... So one again, one of the future podcast guests that uh, um, I'll be uh, next week's podcast will be by a woman who is part of the death positive movement. <laughs> the death positive movement. Now, understand what I'm not saying here and what I am saying. Uh, I'm all for giving people the proper psychological therapeutic care and even proper medications that might be necessary uh, when they're at that stage of their life to make it comfortable as much as it can be. I'm not against that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm all for that. As a person who's pastored two churches, I have been there when people have died many times. And I, I, I'm all for making them comfortable. We need to be humane. These are, these are our fellow uh, human beings. These are the, and, you know, this is very important that we, that we care for them and are merciful toward them and do them uh, as many favors in this regard as we can and love them. And all those things are very important. But if you're a naturalist, and you should still do all those things as a naturalist, but if you're a naturalist, understand that the very idea of, of death being a positive kind of works against the whole thing. I mean, there is no afterlife. You're de- there are a lot of atheists that, that I think kind of bombastically want to thump their chest and say, no, 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 when I get older, I get, I get to die. I'm looking, I want to die. I, I don't want to live forever and all these kind of things. Great. Um, but there's a lot of you that do not feel that way. And some of the people saying that, I suspect, don't really feel that way. And the thing about it is, if you're an atheist and that's it, death is not a positive. This is why they kind of laugh when he says the death positive movement is because it really doesn't seem positive, right? For a Christian, it is because death is a doorway. 
to, to another world, and we can go on living forever um, in heaven with our Savior. Uh, and as a reasonably well-educated person, I believe that with all my heart. Um, but if you're a naturalist, death is not a positive. So because of that, we need to create a movement uh, and, and, uh, and call it death positive. But, but that's not the end. Let's keep going. Have you heard about this? No. Yeah. This is real stuff. What? Who? If you're offended by me saying this right now, notice that they're laughing. Look at the look on Rogan's face right now. He gets that that is funny because it doesn't seem positive, right? Don't get upset with me. So don't distinguish. Don't don't confuse it. There is a whole movement, like an anti-natalist move or something like that. I forget what they call themselves. But there's a whole movement that wants human beings not to exist. That's crazy. But, yeah. But there are people who like that. The death positive movement is the following. Like, we're going to die. We should face up to it. We should accept it, and we should deal with it in a personally and culturally positive way. So, mm. for example, like right now, especially in the United States, even compared to Europe or other countries, we're terrible at dealing with death. We put people in hospitals. Uh, we take them away from their families, away from their homes. We refuse to admit that they're going to die. So we treat it as if the whole— There are things about this that—, that I, I think I resonate with. I, I want you to understand, it's not that I flatly disagree with everything they're saying. Uh, some of it I agree with, like the idea that we need to talk about free will as though it's real, even though they don't believe in it. Uh, I, I agree with some of what they're saying here. I don't want you to think that I'm just trashing everything, but I, I just, I just, just want to, let's just keep going. The whole purpose of the game is to squeeze out as many more hours of life as possible, no matter what the quality of that life is. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, fine, that's fine. Um, and all that is just rubbish, and we should be much more grown up about it. We should plan ahead. You know, when uh, Obama suggested that in the healthcare system there should be, you know, some planning for what happens when you die, Sarah Palin came along with death panels, and that was a very effective rhetorical strategy. We mm -hmm. don't want to think about the fact that we're going to die. We don't want to plan for it. Yeah. If we did plan for it, it could be better. We could die at home. We could die with less pain. We might not live as long as so we don't like do every single medical intervention possible just to squeeze out a few more breaths. But it could be a much more life-affirming experience to die because the people around us who, who are there uh, come across with an acceptance of what's going on rather than the feeling that we should just do everything we can to prevent it. I had a similar situation happen recently with a dog of mine who's a Mastiff who reached 13 years old and from Mastiffs that's very old and uh, we had to put him down because he couldn't walk anymore and uh, he was it was brutally painful to watch him try to get up and right. fall down and you know um but one of the things i was thinking was that if this was my grandfather and not my dog i would have to watch him suffer until the bitter end yeah i knew this dog wasn't going to go backwards in time and become a puppy again right and knew he his days were numbered he couldn't do anything most days he just slept all day until it was time to eat but it was getting to the point where I had to carry him to his food. Yeah. And I knew that it was and there's over. no quality of life, right? There's no quality and, of life. And it's in some sense it's even harder with the dog because you can't talk to them, right? You right. can't explain to them what's going on. They can't explain to you what their wishes are, so you have to be the responsible one. But yeah, so everything legally and culturally in the United States is we're not allowed to relieve that pain or that, that despair that you have at the end of your life. 
Um, some states, including California, are passing death with dignity laws where basically it's what used to be called assisted suicide, but we don't call it that anymore. Um, uh, you, a doctor is allowed to give you the means to end your own life when you're mm -hmm. near the, when you're near, you have to be near a point of no return, but still clearly thinking enough to be able to make that decision for yourself. And there's also an issue with our real concern is their fear and their, uh, this, this experience being this terrifying sort of step into the great beyond. And there's a tool to mitigate that. And the, the tool that has been shown to mitigate that is psychedelics, one of the big ones being psilocybin. Psilocybin mm -hmm. has a remarkable... It's amazing that we got this far in a Joe Rogan episode, and he had not yet already brought up psychedelics. But, um, but anyway, uh, notice one thing as we go forward here, that he said, it's a terrifying moment. You're about to step out, step out into the great beyond, right? We recognize it's terrifying. If you're a naturalist, it's terrifying. Whatever you want to say, apparently plenty of naturalists think it's terrifying. Remarkable effect on people that are going through stage four cancer and uh, uh, Johns Hopkins has studied it. There's, there's, there's quite a few um, studies that have shown that people, when you give them psilocybin, they, they're much more relaxed and much more comfortable with this idea of ending this life, of this life. You know, it's gone through its course and yep. this, it's an inevitable thing. And, it's really our biological limitations that are terrified and, 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 and sparking up all of these intense primal fears of the end. Yeah, I'm actually 100% uh, in agreement there. Uh, my so uh, now I, um, I, I don't, I, I'm not the person to ask about whether that is an appropriate treatment, and I'm not going to speak to whether it is, except to say this, that what we get, and I think, again, this part of this goes along with treating people in a humane way. And if there's a med medication that helps them uh, with anxiety or fear or depression or whatever, I'm not necessarily against that. I don't know about that drug that he's talking about, psychedelics. Um, I did do some reading on it. Uh, I read a couple of journal articles and watched a couple of guys lecture about it. And um, it does sound like that the experience is very much, it's not like they could, that it, it, my understanding is it's not that they took some property from the psychedelic drug and, and it's just an anxiety reliever or whatever, you have a, some kind of a psych, psychedelic experience, right? So what I hear happening here throughout this, and again, I'm not speaking against any particular treatment because I'm not the person to consult for that, okay? And, and I think you should do whatever your doctor says within reason, right? Unless he says something crazy. Um, but the, the thing that I want you to notice here is we've got our Wilson. We've put hair on him. We've put the face on him. We're treating it like it's a real person that fills in the gap of meaning that we have removed without God. Um, we've, got, we've got Wilson now. And when it comes to the moment of death, what we've got to do is basically medicate ourselves enough that we don't face the terror that we're facing. Now, again, this is not me speaking out against the medication. This is me speaking to the life and eschatology of naturalism that to my mind what i want to what i want to point out that seems clear through all of this is again and again and again we saw this with an episode i did sometime back with cosmic skeptic and rationality rules in cosmic skeptics backyard 
we, we've seen it with, with uh, multiple other uh, individuals that I've done response videos to. But it, it's just here we saw it all together, all crammed up nice together here where we get it. And what we see is we see multiple things, um, free will, moral responsibility, design, meaning. All of these things are things where you have to somewhat ignore reality. Death, we kind of have to try, I mean, it, taking a psychedelic drug, whether that's the right move or the wrong move for this person or that person, that question aside, that is the ultimate ignoring the reality of what's happening. Um, what I'm saying is what we see over and over again with naturalism is the need to ignore reality. But on Christianity, it fits. It seems like there's this free will. Yeah, because there is. It really seems like people are morally responsible because they are. Stuff really seems designed because stuff is designed. It really seems like we have an ultimate purpose and it isn't someone's ultimate purpose to do some horrific thing that is bad for society. Right, because there is an ultimate purpose and that isn't their ultimate purpose. Um, it really seems like that if, that, 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 uh, if you're if you, if, if you don't have peace through the Savior, it really seems like death is a terrifying prospect. I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm trying to soberly offer a possibility that it could be because that is the nature. You do need to know the Savior. Life is short. And when I see a list of things like this where I'm having to deny reality to be a naturalist, um, I have to live inconsistently with my worldview, seemingly at least a couple of junctions, by his own admission. That, to my mind, is troubling and doesn't really pass the worldview analysis test. And so what I would encourage you to do is think this through and think maybe I'd rather have a worldview that more consistently maps to um, the nature of reality and human experience. Uh, ultimately, I'm offering you something better than Wilson. I'm offering you the inventor who invented you, the creator who created you. And uh, some of the things that we have ascribed meaning to in our lives, uh, we may have made a Wilson in our own image, and that will ultimately float out to sea. I hope you've got something more than that. And uh, if, if you do, you can contact me. You can contact me at Braxton at trinityradio.org. I'd love to talk to you about how you can come to know uh, the Lord and how you can begin a relationship with Him uh, that, will, that will give you more on that ultimate meaning and purpose for which you were born. And with all that, I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.